0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here at New Life. We're glad that you're here. And as you can see, we're starting a new series. Well, you might not know that if you're here for the first time. If you are here for the first time, we're so glad you're here. But you come every week. That's a new bumper video. I'm really sad because this series is only two weeks long because I love that bumper video. But anyway, um, we're talking about community and we talk about a specific kind of community, the church. And so what makes a church a church? I Googled church, and I got 446 million hits in 1.06 seconds. I don't know how it does that. I didn't look up all the 446 million definitions of church. But a lot of them had to do with a specific building in a specific place. Like, for instance, the church that we call New Life Christian Ministries is at 139 Knock Road. Well, that sort of describes a church, but that's not what we're talking about. The other thing, people say church is a worship service. Like, I went to church last night, or I'm at church right now. And that's true, Um, But at the same time, it's more than that. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the biblical understanding of what a church is. And what we're going to see is that the church is first and foremost a community of believers who actually interact with each other's lives and and make each other's lives better. So here's our take-home point for today. If you're new, we seek to make one point uh, every sermon, every message, and that we can take home and we can pray about it. Most importantly, that we can live it out. In the week ahead. So here it is. The early church, we're going to look at the first century church, was first and foremost a community of believers who impacted each other's lives. So yes, the church is called to go out into the world and make disciples of all the nations. That's what we're supposed to do. The church is supposed to be aware of its community and never be you know, just focused on itself. But the thing that the Bible teaches us, and we're going to look at this today in the book of Acts, is that the church is a community of people who are gathered together in the name of Jesus Christ to worship the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit that's what they did in the first century and and obviously it since that's how the church began and and God created and designed the church we want to look at that model for our lives here and now in the 21st century so let's turn to the book of Acts in the Bible uh, and we're gonna to turn to chapter 2 and we're gonna see what an ideal community looks like from the perspective of Luke now Luke wrote a gospel which is a story of Jesus life and, uh, so, and then he wrote the book of Acts. So Luke and Acts are a two-volume history. The first is a history of the life of Jesus, his death, resurrection, and all that. And, and the book of Acts is actually a history of the Holy Spirit, you might say, how the Holy Spirit acted in the lives of people in the early church. And it wasn't, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, there wouldn't be a church. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 40 to 47. But before we do that, let me set the context What we find is that in the book of Luke, at the very end, Jesus was crucified. He died. Then three days later, he rose from the dead. Then he lived on the earth for 40 more days after he rose from the dead, and he interacted with his disciples, his apostles. There were 11 of them left. There were 12, but Judas, one of them, had hanged himself out of remorse for having turned Jesus over to the authorities. So when Jesus left, right before he went back to heaven to be with his heavenly Father, with the Holy Spirit once again, he gave instructions to these 11 disciples. He said to them, wait, wait. Don't do anything because in a few days or not, he said, in a little while, um, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to be my witnesses in the whole earth. And that had actually happened in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 41. We call it the day of Pentecost because it was a Jewish holy day. There were people from all over the world, Jews from all over the world gathered in Jerusalem which was the center of Judaism for this holy day of Pentecost. And on that day, the 11 disciples, along with 109 other people, there were 120 in all, were gathered in a house. They'd been there for 10 days, praying and waiting and waiting and praying for Jesus to send the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came, we were told that there was a sound like a rushing wind in the house house, and uh, these flames, it looked like tongues of fire came down and rested on each one. They were all baptized in the Holy Spirit and immediately they went out into the streets and they started proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And we're told that wherever the people, the Jews were from, from all over the world, they heard the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus in their own language. So at the end of that, um, Peter... Uh, one of the 11, stood up and he preached for a while, and he told them that Jesus, who they had crucified, had risen from the dead, and that he is now um, the Messiah, the one who had come to deliver everybody from sin and death. And he said, if you will, believe in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Be baptized. You will receive this new life, this uh, power from God. And and that's what happened. 3,000 people responded. So the the birthday of the church we call Pentecost, there were 3,120 believers. The 120 plus 3,000 more. So right there in Jerusalem, there's all of these people. And and, and so the question is, what would they do next? What What would they do with their lives now that they were believers in Jesus Christ, now that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What would the church be, and what would it do? And so that's what we're going to find out as we turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. So if you would, if you're able, would you please stand? We're going to read this together. It seems only fitting, since we're talking about community, that instead of just me reading this passage, that we would all read what the early church did together, together. So let's read it. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this description of what the church really is, a community of people who love you and serve you and who learn about you and live in your power And today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured into each of us, that as we reflect on this early church, that you will make us more and more that ideal community that reflects all of these realities, uh, not just to ourselves, but to our community, that you may add daily to the number of those being saved here in Saxonburg and in our region. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. When we launched New Life more than 16 years ago, I preached from that very passage that we just read, Acts 2 42 to 47. I called the message a vision of the church. And uh, over the years, I have prayed regularly. Uh, almost daily, I would say for God to do what he did in that early church here in new life among this community of believers that has um, has actually obviously grown quite a bit since those first days um, and that we would do the same kind of things in this community of faith that we would become an ideal Christian community. Now, I've used that term ideal, and here at New Life on the staff, we, we talk about real to ideal. We say, here's the reality. This is where we are, and we want to move to the ideal, which is God's perfect situation. So even as we read those verses, um, I'm sure that even in that early church, it wasn't as ideal as it sounds. But that's the goal, from real to ideal. Are we perfect? Are we an ideal church? No, because I'm your pastor. If I weren't your pastor, it might be easier for you to be ideal. But we've all taken steps in the right direction over the years, and hopefully as we move forward, because we know what we're supposed to be, And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can become that more and more. So we're going to look at, there are actually nine aspects of this early church that we just read about. And we're going to go through one by one, and we're going to look at what they are. If you want to follow along on the outline, it's in your, this is called the connection. And inside, there's an outline, and you can see there are nine different aspects. And you can fill them in and take that home with you and review it and study it and hopefully live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit in the weeks ahead. Anyway, so in an ideal church or an ideal community, number one, everyone is devoted to God's word." We read it this way in Acts 2: 242, "All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the significant words in that statement are "All and devoted." They didn't just listen as the apostles told about Jesus' life and ministry. They devoted themselves to hearing it, soaking it in, you know, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, eventually living it out because information minus applications, just information. But when we apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit, it brings transformation. And so all the apostles and and all the early church, the 3,120 to start with, and it was soon 5,000, it was soon 10,000, it just grew like crazy. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching here at New Life. Ever since new life began, we have devoted ourselves to speaking the truth in love. That comes from Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul said, When we grow up and we get to be mature, we will speak the truth in love. Well, you can't speak the truth if you don't know what it is. And so we devote ourselves to learning uh, what this book says, the Bible, because we trust the Bible, we believe it's true. Now we understand, we live in a rationalistic society. We've been talking about that over these past few weeks, and so there's a lot of people don't even believe in truth. But we do. We believe that the Word of God is true, and, and that as we read it and we apply it to our lives in love, that's the key thing um, it will transform us, and then ultimately it will transform our community, our region our nation and world that's that's the goal that was the goal 2000 years ago it's still the goal so the more that we know of the truth the more that we can speak it and live it and our goal isn't to be right you know some people want to know the bible so they can be right but our goal is so that we can live rightly And we can share that righteousness that we have with others in love. And, you know, sometimes, in fact, often, people out in the world who are not followers of Jesus think that the church is mean-spirited and hateful and, you know, intolerant. And that is because, um, maybe because they've experienced that from some church people, but it's certainly because we haven't maybe uh, (laughs) applied what we know. We have received a great deal of grace. In fact, it's only because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ that our sins have been forgiven. We've been forgiven. And when you read and understand and live grace and forgiveness, that kind of community is attractive. It's like a magnet, actually. When you show love and grace to people, they respond. I mean, all people want to be uh, receive grace and forgiveness. So that's what they did. They devoted themselves to that. Secondly... Everyone is devoted to fellowship in an ideal community. It actually says, you know, they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Well, what is fellowship? I love Rick Warren's old definition of fellowship. He said it's two fellows in a ship. Actually, two people in a rowboat, okay? Two people sitting in a rowboat. I'm sitting in a rowboat. Somebody's beside me. And I have an oar, and the other person has an oar. Now, what happens if I row and the other person doesn't? We go in a circle, right? What happens if the other person rows and I don't? We go in a circle, what happens if I row forward, the other person rows backwards? We go in a circle. What happens if nobody rows? <laughs> we drift. And that can happen. But what if we both row in the same direction, same time? Then we go in the direction that we're rowing, right? And that's what fellowship is. It's when everybody gets on board and everybody goes in the same direction. And it doesn't, fellowship isn't just talking about the pirates and the stealers and the penguins or whatever, or the weather. It can be that. But it's so much more than that. What it is, is when we're all heading in the same direction and we help each other, we encourage each other, we challenge each other, even correct each other, always in love based on the truth that we find here. So true fellowship is when we grow in, uh, in love for each other because we already have the love of God in our lives and the early church devoted themselves to fellowship and that's what we want to do as well. Now, the next thing is, Some people think that a true fellowship, everybody will know everybody. Well, do you think all 3,120 people in the early church knew each other that day? Of course not. You can't know 3,120. They can't be your best friends for sure. But as the church grows, we don't all know each other, but we all need to know Jesus. Fellowship is anchored in Jesus Christ, and we all need a small group of people that do know us, who know who we are, who would know if we were missing today, who would care enough to give us a call or follow up with us. That's what what true Christian community is like, and in the early church, we'll see that's what happened. They met in large groups, yes, but they also met in small groups. So then the third thing is, everyone shares meals and celebrates the Lord's Supper together. Here's how Luke he says they devoted themselves to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. We often build community around meals. If you want to know somebody, if you want to get to know somebody, you invite them to come to dinner, right? Because they come in, you sit down, you talk about life. When you're, when you're uh, in fellowship with somebody, you, you, know, you sit around the table and you eat, or maybe you invite them out to dinner. Uh, but the thing is, there are 1,200 people on our mailing list here at New Life. So if you're waiting for Nancy and I to invite you to dinner, it might not happen, okay? We might not be inviting you over this week. We do invite people over. Uh, in fact, this past Wednesday night, we had Pastor Mark Geppert and the, the folks from New Life who went on the uh, mission trip to Cambodia who were on the electrical team, which meant that they helped to put electricity in some people's houses. Mark wanted to talk to them, debrief with them, so we had them over. It wasn't really dinner, but we did have some pretty, you know, good beef sticks and chicken pickings and some cheese and that kind of stuff, and, and we had fellowship together. So if you're sitting there going, well, nobody ever invites me to dinner. My brother Tom always put it this way, door swings both ways. I mean, you can invite somebody else to dinner, right? You could invite somebody to dinner. What if they say no? Well, invite somebody else. There's 1,200 people. I mean, eventually somebody, if you can't cook, take them out. You know, take them out to eat. That's the other thing. You don't even have to cook anymore to have fellowship. You can sit in a restaurant. But anyway, they devoted themselves to sharing meals with each other. And then it says, including the Lord's Supper. Now, we have made the Lord's Supper something that's very specialized in modern churches, at least in most modern churches. And so here at New Life, for example, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together here in worship once a month, usually the first weekend of the month. But you realize that in that early church, when they got together for dinner in a group of eight or ten or whatever number it might have been, they would, as part of their dinner, they would have the Lord's Supper together. And we've done that. We've actually put out a a little small group. How do you have Lord's Supper in your small group, uh, you know, Uh, Resource And if you need that, you could have it. But it's not that hard, but it is special. And some people say, well, you know, what if the pastor's not there? Well, there wasn't any. I mean, there there weren't pastors in any of those homes. They just celebrated and remembered what Jesus did. So they devoted themselves to that in that ideal community. Uh, The last thing that everyone does in that list in Acts 2, 42 to 47 is everyone prays. So in an ideal Christian community, everyone prays. And it actually says that they devoted themselves to prayer. So if you've been coming to New Life for any period of time, you know that we say this. Everything begins and ends with prayer here at New Life. Now, last summer, the summer of 2016, when we were planning the message series for 2017, um, we realized something. That we weren't actually, you know, as devoted to having everything begin and end with prayer as we might have. So that's why in January, if you were around in January, we had a whole month devoted to prayer. 31 days, we had a prayer emphasis. We had a booklet that we put that you could, uh, there was a prayer focus for every day. You could come here Monday to Saturday and you could pray with other followers of Jesus uh, from New Life in the community. We had a series on the Lord's Prayer And then every month since then, we've had daily prayer guides so that we can pray on our own. And then again in August, uh, this month of August, we've had another 31-day prayer emphasis. And we've had folks gathering to pray together Monday through Saturday, which is this week is wrapping that up so you could still come and join us. But we want to know, we want everybody to know that we want to be that ideal community. So we're emphasizing prayer in our individual lives in our lives together in small groups. Our staff prays every Monday at 1130. We all get together for prayer. We have world changers through prayer. We, have, we just reinstituted prayer walking on Wednesday mornings at 7 because prayer is vital. It's connecting with God. And so, you know, while we connect with each other in prayer, it's so much more important that we connect to God in prayer. We hear his voice and he speaks to us and we, we tell him the things that we need. And we, we tell him how wonderful he is. So the early church devoted themselves to prayer. And once again, we do that as well. Now, if you're here checking out New Life for the very first time, or maybe some friend dragged you here because they thought you needed to be in church, and you're saying, well, this just sounds like church. You know, you're talking about Bible reading and prayer and fellowship. Well, yeah, this is more of an insider message than usual. But I want you to think about something. Even if Jesus Christ isn't your Savior and Lord, you need community. We all need community. We live in a technological age where everybody's connected, right? I mean, people tell me they have 600 friends on Facebook, and I say, well, if somebody, if you needed somebody at 2 o'clock in the morning, which of those 600 would you call? You see, 600 friends on Facebook doesn't mean you have a single friend, actually. True community is where at 2 o'clock in the morning you have a crisis and you pick up the phone and you call and somebody answers, and they will be there. And that's what we're talking about here this morning. That kind of community, everybody needs that. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, we need that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we need that. So let's look at the fifth thing that an ideal community has. And here it is. Awe and miracles are part of the fabric of that ideal community. Luke said it this way, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Now, there are those who say that the era of signs and wonders is over. There aren't. That was just in the first century church. They don't happen anymore. Some people say they never did happen. It was just myths and legends. But I want you to think about something for a moment. When Jesus died on the cross, the, the 11 remaining apostles hid they were scared to death. They were afraid that they were going to be arrested. All those other 120 believers who were around on the day of Pentecost, they were scattered too. Not, they weren't together praying and praising God. They weren't doing anything. They thought Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, was dead, and it was all over. But then he rose from the dead. And after he rose from the dead, we we're told that 500 people saw him alive. I mean, it, this, that's not a small amount of people. But I think what's very compelling is that this group of people who were scared to death... The day Jesus died, Peter was standing up in front of thousands of people proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. That he had died on the cross, risen from the dead. And that within just a couple of years, hundreds of thousands of believers in Jesus Christ existed in and around Jerusalem. Isn't that sort of interesting? Myths and legends don't produce that kind of following. And I was talking with Pastor Mark Geppert, you know, missionary Mark Geppert one time, and we were talking about this whole thing about signs and wonders. And he says, you don't really need signs and wonders if you don't want your movement to last. In other words, if it's just going to sort of die out. But it's now 2,000 years after Jesus rose from the dead, and the church is still growing stronger. You know, so here at New Life, we have seen signs and wonders, And, and recently And my prayer is that we will continue to be that kind of community that trusts Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit so much that we will see that more and more and more as we move forward. There are always signs and wonders are always part of that genuine, ideal Christian community. Then the next thing we find is that generosity erupts as God's people become more and more like God. So many church people I've talked to, you know, not here at New Life so much, but in other places they argue about tithing and giving and what's the definition and should we tithe on our groceries, should we tithe on our net? And, you know, they didn't have those kind of discussions in the first century church. What we find in the early church is it says this, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and they shared the money with those who were in need. So they shared what they had with those who didn't have anything some of them sold their property so that they would have income to give to help those who were hungry or poor, whatever. Um, but, so the, the thing is that we might not all you know, sell our property, but what we know is this, is if we're not generous, we haven't been touched deeply by the Spirit of God. If we're not generous, we haven't been touched deeply by the Spirit of God. The more we've been touched by the Spirit of God, the more generous we become. When we realize that everything that we are and everything we have is a gift from God, then it becomes very easy to share. I've said this, you know, many times. When I was growing up, I had a little brother named Ken, and our neighbor boys, you know, Bruce and Tom Trail, would come over to play. And when they would say, "Can I play with that?" which was my brother Ken's toy, I always said, "Sure, go ahead." You know, I didn't care if they played with Ken's toy because it was Ken's toy. Now, if they wanted my toy, that might be different, you see. But the point is, if it's all God's toys, then I would be willing to share everything because it's not mine. And what the early church understood is, none of this stuff is ours. I mean, you think you have a house. If you have your house and it's paid off, you go, this is my house. No, it isn't. If you don't believe me, fast forward 100 years, whose house is it then? It's not yours. You see, we get to use it. We're stewards, managers, for a period of time. The early church understood that. That's why it was so easy for them to share. And there are people who say that Acts 2, 42 to 47 records the failed communist experiment of the early church. And they say it's failed because you don't hear about it anymore. Well, you do hear about generosity all through the letters that Paul wrote. Now, I will tell you this. In, in the, the second letter to the church at Thessalonica, Paul had to tell some of the people, hey, if you won't work, you don't get to eat. You know why? Because they thought Jesus was coming back in the next couple of weeks. And so they thought, hey, let's just sit under a tree and pray. We're just going to wait for Jesus to come back. We don't need to work anymore but 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 we need to eat so could y'all give us some of your food and and the point was that human nature is human nature and 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 when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives that's what produces generosity human nature is tight-fisted I don't know if you ever noticed that but people who don't really have the the Holy Spirit in our lives what happens is we hold on tight because we're afraid we won't have enough but once the Holy Spirit starts to work in our lives our hands become open as our hearts become open that's what happens and so one of the things that I love about New Life, it's, it's, I mean, it's one of the things that as a pastor, it makes me so grateful, is from year to year to year to year, I see the generosity of this community becoming more and more like that first century community. Uh, the next point makes clear that whenever the, the community of God becomes generous, there there's this bubble over effect in every area of our lives. It says this, uh, number seven, worship, celebration, sharing, and generosity marked everyday life. This wasn't something they just did on the weekend. This is, isn't something they just did in their small group. It's something that they did all the time. It says they worshiped together at the temple in each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Notice it says, each day. And you're going to say, you mean to tell me they didn't go to work? They went to the temple and prayed all day? Now, of course they went to work. Now, there were those, maybe older people, um, widows, um, they would go and they would pray. In fact, we know that there are widows who actually invested almost all their life in the temple. Um, we know that the apostles were able to go and spend time in prayer. But what it says, when the, every day they did all this stuff, every day they had a worshipful heart, spirit. And those who could worship, not just on the weekends, but every day. And they celebrated God's presence presence they shared with each other. We already know they were having meals together, celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And the interesting thing is, people watch this. People in the outside community would watch this, and they go, what's going on with our neighbors? You know, they seem to have people over for dinner every night. And slave owners would invite their slaves in to have dinner with them. They would love each other. And so what happened in that environment is what point number eight is. The believers praised God and their, they, their neighbors gave them goodwill. You see, when neighbors see people loving each other, truly loving each other in action, what happens is they start to go, wait a minute, I, I know Henry. And Henry, he's not that generous. Henry's not that nice of a guy. In fact, he's always been sort of, you know, the worst neighbor in the neighborhood. Now he's Christian, and look at what he's doing. He's inviting people over. He's sharing his food with each other. And then this Henry's uncle got healed from this. You know, he couldn't walk and now he can walk. And there was this, you know, evil presence in this other neighbor and now it's gone. You see, what happened is the early community, they saw. People change neighbor's goodwill, even though it was against the law to be a Christian. Within within 50 years of Christianity starting, the Jews and the Romans were trying to wipe it out. And yet they had the goodwill of their neighbors because of love and truth. When love and truth are mixed together, people experience, people know it. And so the goodwill came. And then the last point is that the Lord added daily to their fellowship those who were being saved. The Lord added daily. And, and that's exactly how we read it in Acts 2:47. It says, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You may know that it's my personal goal as the lead pastor here at New Life that seven people, at least seven people every week, will come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's because of this verse. You know, if the Lord added daily, wouldn't that be seven people? Right? A week, right? So 365 people a year, except in lead years, 366. And, and so what, what that means to me is, as I read this, that as we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing meals with each other in the Lord's Supper, as we pray together, as we see the, the signs and wonders being carried out among us, you know, as we share with each other the things that we have with, with even strangers... As we continue to do all of these things that we've just listed, it doesn't say we will lead our neighbors to the Lord. It doesn't say I led six people to Jesus last week. What it says is the Lord adds daily. Here's the thing that we all need to understand. We can't save anybody. Only Jesus can. We, we can't save anybody. Um, you know, my name's Chris, and so I always say there's no T at the end of my name. I can't save anybody because of that T missing. (laughs) If I had a T at the end of my name, then it would be okay. Christ is able to save, but I can't. And and we can't. But But what we can do is be that community that demonstrates the salvation that God has given to us. We have been saved by the power of God in Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit is coursing through our lives. And so as we share that, people come in. And every week, every single week, I will say, and I'm going to say it right now, If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, this would be a great day to do that. And what what happens in that moment, when we surrender our lives to him, he adds us to his number who are saved. And so anybody who wants to be saved can be, but it's the Lord who's doing the work, and all we have to do is give ourselves over to that and say, I will take a Lord in my life meaning owner, and, and the Savior means that I will you know, uh, receive the salvation from death and sin that Jesus died on the cross to earn. I heard a preacher on the radio this week saying a lot of us have Burger King Christianity. We want to have a full, a full serving of Savior but hold the Lord. <laughs> you know, we don't want to follow so much. We just want to have the salvation, but, but let's not have the Lord because the Lord part is the hard part, right? And in the early church, they had a full measure of do- of both, a full dose of both, Lord and Savior, and the Lord added daily. That's my hope and my dream and my prayer for, for here at New Life that daily we would see people being saved, and that means that as we go out to our homes, as we live in community, even in our homes, in small groups of people, our neighbors will see, and that's where the interaction is supposed to actually happen. You know, we have this thing where people come to church, and they make a commitment to Jesus, and that's wonderful, but in the early church, it seems very much that what happened was the people out in the community were living in these small groups, family groups, work groups, whatever, and People would watch and they'd say, I want some of that. Whatever that is, I want it in my life. And then the Lord would add, it, would add salvation to their lives. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have small group sign-ups. In fact, if you would right now, I would encourage you to get in your connection. And inside, there's something we've never had before. We've actually had a booklet before that said small groups. But Pastor Mark had an incredible idea. If you open up to the inside cover, it says, see these different little icons, I guess they're called? Um, and uh, so, like, blue little guy is men, and a pink little woman is women, and two people in a black circle is couples, you can see. And so, like, the activity group has a hand with a green background. So what you can do, if you turn to the next page, it has a listing of all the small groups that we're going to be having this fall here at New Life. And in the first one, it says, it's just a picture of a... Um, Bible that means it's a Bible study group and it, it's for everybody because there's no there's no kind of exclusive men women kind of thing it's for anybody who wants to come so then you can go down the next one's on Romans it's a discipleship group and it's for people uh, with it's kid friendly see that little person so you can even bring your children and there will be child care so that's how that works so you can look through and you can see all of these things and if you want to take this home I encourage you please take this home look through it and if you want to sign up on the very back, Inside, uh, whoops, wrong one. Next to the inside, it says right here, interested in joining a small group, sign up online. But you don't have to sign up online because next weekend when you come, there's going to be sign-ups here. You can sign up online or you can sign up with a real person. Actually, the group leaders, many of them will be standing out in the gathering area after worship next week. And they'll be holding signs that tell you what group they lead. And you can, you know, correspond to this, whoops, this little booklet. And sign up. Now, why am I going into all of that right now? Because the commitment today is very different than any commitment we've ever had. The commitment actually is to do something that only about one out of every eight people at New Life are currently doing, and here it is Uh, I will check out a small group and participate as God leads. I will check out a small group and participate as God leads. We were created for community. And in the ideal community, they did gather in the temple, you know, big group for worship. But day to day, they gathered in smaller groups. And so we want to make that possible. And we're doing everything we can on our end to make it simpler and even easier for you to do that. You can sign up online or you can sign up in person. Um, And I pray that you will, uh, you know, take that commitment very seriously, that you'll look through the list. and, And I know what some of you are saying. I was in a small group once and it was terrible. Well, don't join that small group again. <laughs> sort of simple. I mean, I had you know food at a restaurant, and it was terrible. I just didn't go back to that restaurant. i go to a different restaurant. So if you've been in a small group that hasn't been exciting or hasn't been what you are looking for, there are a bunch of different ones. And this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to put it on you. Uh, if there's none of those groups, meet your needs. Then that means you need to talk to Pastor Mark out at the Next Step area and come up with a small group that does. And you'll get to be the leader. Isn't that cool? Um, so, so we are very committed to new life becoming a community of communities. And these communities are life-changing communities. Because that's what the early church was. And the ideal community is a community of smaller communities. So imagine what's going to happen. As more and more of us get involved in these life-changing communities, our lives are changed. What's going to happen? It's called collateral blessing. You've all heard of collateral damage, right? Collateral blessing is when your lives are changed for the good, and people around you get changed too. That's what's going to happen in our community, the greater community of Saxonburg, Sarver, you know, Mars, all this area, from the forty-some zip codes that you all come from. Um, you're going to go back to your little communities or big communities, and you are going to be salt and light. That's what Jesus said, and everybody gets blessed. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who created us for community. In fact, your word says in Genesis chapter 2, it's not good that the man's alone. And so we know that you want us to be together. Yes, we need solitude to pray. Yes, we need solitude to think. But at the end of the day, we need to be with each other. Jesus even said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in a special way. And so, God, we pray today that we'll take seriously this opportunity to grow in community. I thank you so much that this community has grown more and more uh, like that first century church community that you created uh, as the church began. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured into us so that we will become daily more and more that ideal community that will transform not only our lives, but those around us. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen.